You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. If you're joining us for the very first time, we've been in a series called Encounter, and it's all about discovering the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And today, I hope to answer the question, how does the Holy Spirit help me practically to tell people about Jesus, about my faith in Jesus? If there's ever a time where we need help to tell people the message of Jesus and this message of hope that we have, it's right now. But one question we could have is, how does the Holy Spirit help me to do that? And I hope that we see today, uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. I hope we see that we are more ready than we ever realized to tell people around us about our faith in Christ. And so we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, and we're going to have the verses up here on the screen, just the very first few verses of the book. And uh, it starts this way in chapter 1. This is Luke writing. This is his second book. And he says in his second book, the book of Acts, he says in verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, we see in verse 6, they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a very specific question that they have. And Jesus answers in an interesting way. He says in verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples ask a specific question about the kingdom. Very specific. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel and are you going to do that right now at this time? And the way that he answers this question changes their expectations in at least three ways. Here's the first way that his answer changes their expectations. He changes their focus. Look at verse 6. Their question is, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And you might ask, well, what's that all about? What, what is the kingdom all about? Well, you'll see in verse 3, for 40 days, over a period of 40 days, he spoke about the kingdom of God as he was presenting himself to them and giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. The resurrected Christ didn't just appear to a few people. Over the course of 40 days, he appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people, and he was speaking about the kingdom of God over the course of these 40 days. Many people experienced the resurrected Christ speaking about the kingdom of God. 
the kingdom of God was not a new message that Jesus spoke about post-resurrection. For he was speaking about the kingdom of God from the very start, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly through story and through parable. And if you want to know what the kingdom of God is, well, very simply, it's the rule and the reign of God defined by things like peace and light and life. That's who God is. God is life and he is peace and he is light. And anywhere that his rule or his reign is established, things flow out of that like peace and light and darkness and evil and disorder is pushed out. That's what it means for the kingdom of God to come anywhere, for his rule and his reign to be sort of manifested. And that's really, really good news. It's such good news that when Jesus first started his earthly ministry, he announced his ministry this way. He says, the time has come. The time, not a time. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. In other words, the king has come near to you, and the rule and the reign of God has come near and drawn very near to you. And this is good news. He says, repent and believe the good news. Healing now has come on this planet. Life has come. Light has come. And it's located in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you want in on life, if you want in on light, if you want darkness pushed out of your life, you got to come near to the person of Jesus and believe the good news. Well, the disciples, you know, they still understand the kingdom to mean an earthly or political or a kind of military kingdom for ethnic Israel in that geographic location. It's interesting. We, we still look for a political kingdom to, to come. And that, that was true of that day. And so they're asking something specific. Are you going to restore this kingdom to ethnic Israel in this geographic location? And is, are you going to do this at this time? Notice that's their question. Is this the time? Is this the date? And, and Jesus does not deny in his answer times or dates. Notice He says, there is a future time. There is a time that God has in store for a total restoration of God's people, including ethnic Israel. And he also says there are exact dates for all of that. There are times and dates. He doesn't deny that at all. He doesn't condemn them for their question at all. However, he says the Father has set these things By his own authority. And then in a really humble moment, he says, it is not for you to know these times or dates that the father has set by his own authority. You know, anytime that you get get told, you know, this really isn't for you. This is really none of your business. That's a humbling moment. So these disciples must have been at least a little bit humbled by the fact that Jesus has just told them, you know, that's a good question, but this is not for you to know. And he is, to be sure, he is not telling them to wait for some future knowledge. He's not encouraging them to wait and ask. He's not asking them to pray until God shows them some future time or some future date. In fact, he's basically saying these things that you want to know, the Father will 
never tell you. He is never going to open up that door of the secret councils of the triune God and give you that secret knowledge, nor is he going to tell anybody around you. You can knock all day long, and you can pray all day long, and you can cry, and you can try, and that door is never going to come open. It's like he's kind of repeating Deuteronomy 29, which says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There are secret things that only God knows. And Jesus says, that's the prerogative of the Father to know all those things, the times and the dates. Well, now, why does Jesus correct them? Well, I believe it's because a misguided focus, however well-meaning, makes disciples vulnerable to being ineffective. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? They were prone, and, and you'll see that over and over again in the New Testament. They were prone to wasting precious time, precious resources on speculations. And I believe in this day and age, we are even more vulnerable to losing our focus and becoming ineffective. And I believe this because urgent information is streaming at us 24-7. Right now, in this moment, there are urgent things that you must know about right now. And... Uh, and some of it is very, very important, and some of it is pure speculation, and we have got to be discerning in this time. Now, again, knowledge is good. Educating ourselves on the times is good. We don't bury our heads in the sand. We are awake. We are alert. We are discerning. We, we use our minds, and we are not inactive. We are active where we should be, and all those kinds of things. That's good. However, knowledge and information, the Apostle Paul says, left to itself, has the tendency to puff us up and to divide and put walls up between people where love, through the Holy Spirit, builds us up, helps us draw closer to God, and helps us draw closer to other people. Even really good information, even really important information can quickly turn into an enslaving preoccupation. Have you experienced any of that since March? I know I have. I have experienced a unhealthy preoccupation at times. And, and sometimes this is how it works in my life. Craving after knowledge and information kind of promises me control. Like I can kind of control my situation if I just get a little bit more information on a thing, on a topic, on a subject. But it ends up leaving me in more bondage to needing more information and sometimes just fear altogether. So if I could summarize, I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's this. Listen, disciples, good question. Good question. However, it's not the focus. Good question. But it's not the focus. Well, what is the focus? Look at verse 8. This is the focus. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. This is the focus. Jesus wants us to focus on something bigger, grander, more glorious. The very Spirit of God coming upon ordinary people and empowering us to be his witnesses. 
to get in on a greater and a bigger cause than any cause that is screaming and streaming and clamoring for our attention in these days. Jesus says, there's something bigger. I want you to lift your eyes up beyond the noise and look at what the Father has for you. And that is power from the Holy Spirit to be witnesses everywhere. So let's just ask ourselves, let's, let's, let's direct that question to the Lord right now. Is there anything that I'm asking for, any information that I'm preoccupied with that right now Jesus would say, that's a good question, but it's not the focus. I believe if he's saying that to any of us in here, he's saying that gently, gently, and I think he's saying that firmly. It's a good question, but it's not the focus. Well, what else does he expand by their questions? Not just their focus, but their faith. He expands their faith. Uh, you notice again, their question is, Lord, are you, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom uh, to Israel? Now, that is very appropriate for them to ask the king of kings, what's next? Because up until this point, Jesus has been restoring everything. He has been restoring bodies. He has been restoring blind eyes. He has been raising the dead. He has been defeating the powers of evil. He has defeated death on the cross and in his resurrection. They can see the nail-scarred hands. And they can see it's accomplished. The king of kings is on the scene. And darkness has been defeated. And Jesus, you are here now. And so you can imagine the impatience of the disciples. Hey, Jesus, let's complete this thing all the way. Let's do this thing, right? Come on. Are you going to restore the kingdom all the way? Are you going to accomplish it all the way? But Jesus is informing them of some disappointing and thrilling news all at the same time. And it's this. The kingdom comes in stages and the next stage is going to involve them. The next chapter of the story, disciples, is going to involve you. You're a part of the story now. You're a part of the advancement of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says in verse 8, uh, let's direct it towards you. You will receive power. Now the power that rested upon me is going to be shared with you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, power in, in Greek is the word dunamis, and it means ability. It means a new ability. In other words, Jesus says you have not had this ability up until now. But as you wait on me, as you trust in me, I'm going to pour out upon you, all of you, a new ability to be my Witnesses. Notice, you will be my witnesses. Three times the word you is used in this situation. And this is just one verse. And a witness simply somebody who shares who Jesus is, what he's done at the cross, and how he is alive, and how Jesus has changed your life. That's what a witness is. Somebody who can testify to the experience of, of faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done. Uh, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. Now, it is still going to center on Christ, but it's going to involve you, and it's going to involve the Holy Spirit coming, coming upon you and giving you power. There are only two qualifications that I see in verse 8. The one is humility, humility. 
These are ordinary people. In fact, all the people that Jesus seems to be speaking to, at least the majority, are young mostly. They are poor mostly. Not all, but mostly. They are socially and politically marginalized, almost all of them. So if there were ever ordinary people who are hearing this, it's these people. Uh, And that's a humble posture. And so ordinary people, humble people, that's kind of the first qualification. The other thing I see is willing to receive. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He he instructs them to go into Jerusalem and wait for this power. He says, actually, that's your next step. Your next step is to wait to receive power. Not go do mission, but wait for the Spirit to come upon you. And so, uh, so, it's, it, it's, so being willing to receive really is uh, being a posture, being available. So humility and availability. You know, when I think of availability, I think of my, my brother, Joey. I have a twin Brother, I say that to people and they, they don't believe me until he's standing right next to me. And I say, see, I told you, I have a twin brother. It's real. It sounds just like me. Uh, looks just like me. Well, I'm a slightly better looking twin. But anyway, uh, I have this twin brother. And when we were in high school, he made the JV basketball team. And I just didn't go out for basketball. I probably would have made varsity, but I didn't, didn't go out. Uh, but he was on the JV basketball team, and he was not the most talented on the team. He was probably physically one of the smallest guys on the team. But Joey uh, was the most eager and the hardest working player on the team. He out-hustled everybody. He wasn't the most talented on the team, but he out-hustled everybody. And he did that in practices, and he did that before games. You know, the pregame time before games. He was just out there hustling. Everybody's just kind of casually shooting. Joey's out there giving it all that he got. And he, he hustled so hard that his, uh, his teammates uh, mocked him and called him pregame. Pregame. That was his nickname, was pregame. And the reason they called him pregame was that was the only time he got in the game, was pregame. Isn't that awful? was pregame. They'd say, hey, pregame. Hey, get the ball, pregame. And they would just mock him and call him pregame. Over the season, Joey started to wear that, what he first hated, that word, that name pregame, as a badge of honor. And he, he never gave up giving it all he had. And, and this literally happened. This is not from the movie Rudy. This actually happened. On the last game of the year, there's two minutes left. And, and uh, the coach puts Joey into the game. And with his only time, I think this is the only time his hands uh, had the ball the entire season, he popped a three-pointer uh, in that game. Now, I wish I could say that was the championship game and it was, uh, and they won the game because of it. Actually, they were so far behind, Joey told me yesterday, that the coach put them in. They, they lost miserably. But, but that's, that's the only time that he got to play was in that moment. But here's what happened. Joey went home a hero that day. And, and, and the, 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 the crowd erupted. The, the team erupted because of that. And he went home a hero because he was 100% available for his two minutes. 100%. He gave it everything he had the entire season. And when he had his hands on the ball, he gave it every, everything he had. And that's what availability says. Availability says, I'm all in. 
I'm here. Put me in and get me in the game. I don't want to waste my two minutes. I don't want to waste my time. I am here for you, and I am ready to play. This week, I saw ordinary high school students have that kind of posture. Students who ask for the extraordinary help from the Holy Spirit to get in the game. And all week long, we, we did this event called Lead the Cause, which is spreading the gospel everywhere around us. And so uh, the, the week worked like this. Everyday students were equipped in the gospel in the morning. And then we would gather here for those who could. And we would mask up and gather and worship and pray and get some more teaching. And then we would go out to Little Elm Beach. And uh, when we got to the beach, we'd gather again and we would pray. And we would say, we're not, ev- we're not uh, you know, we don't feel strong. We don't feel like we uh, can do this, but we need your help, Holy Spirit. Give us help. Make us bold. Give us love for people. Give us words to say, all that kind of stuff. So we just, we just cry out to the Holy Spirit. And I would see teenagers do this. And then they would scatter in groups of two or three, and they would go up to people, and they would ask uh, folks there at the beach, is there anything we could pray for you about? And they would have gospel conversations through, uh, through prayer requests, really. And, and, and so we would go out, and then we'd come back every 30 minutes. And here's some of the things that teenagers came back telling the whole group about. One person asked to pray for the tumor in, in my leg, and so we stopped and prayed right there. Another person asked, pray for my financial situation for my kids. Pray for the marriage of my son-in-law that's falling apart right now. Pray for my loneliness and my depression. Pray for my job situation. Pray for my broken relationship with my husband. These are all real prayer requests shared with teenagers. Teenagers stop right there and pray. And then we'd gather together and we'd pray for the Holy Spirit to touch all of these things. At one point... I went out with a student, Jesse Shen, high school student, and we were talking to a young man there, and, uh, and he was there with his family, he was there with his mother, and at first he said, you know, I don't, I don't really have anything to pray for, just pray for health in general, that I'd be safe from COVID, and we said, sure, and then he said, actually, can you pray for my brother, and it was hard for him to get the words out, so his mom filled in the details, his brother was trapped or is trapped in a relationship with someone who is into witchcraft and the occult. And, and she went into details about how this man is just harming himself in all, in all kinds of ways. And right then and there, Jesse Shin, a teenager, Jesse, who is part of Generation Z, who they tell us is the least religious in American history, prayed with boldness that the Holy Spirit would touch this man. And the family was blessed and thankful and just thanked us for stopping and praying and, and believing that God could move in this very difficult situation. It was just amazing. And we shared all kinds of stories like that. This on this one, the last night, we were just sharing just all kinds of ways that God met us this week. And then we kind of go to McDonald's, and, and now we're, we're, in my mind, we're kind of off the clock, Right? And I'm, I'm staring up at the menu at McDonald's, and I'm, I'm contemplating purchasing a filet of fish sandwich. That is the most 
Is it overrated or underrated? Uh, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal sandwich, guys. Listen, <laughs> McDonald's wouldn't keep it on the menu if it wasn't phenomenal. They're cutting all kinds of things off the menu. They wouldn't keep filet of fish if it wasn't phenomenal. I'm contemplating purchasing this filet of fish sandwich, and I'm overhearing teenagers strike up a gospel conversation with somebody as they're standing in line waiting. And I'm thinking, man, we're off the clock here. But apparently the Holy Spirit wasn't off the clock. And I, I kind of make my way over there. And there they are, teenagers with compassion, with the eyes of compassion, with a heart of love, talking to an individual who didn't quite know what he believed. His mom was Muslim, his dad was Christian, and they, he was just, just working through all the details, expressing fear of, you know, the pandemic and COVID and all this stuff. And and they just engaged with boldness and had a gospel conversation uh, with this man. Now, listen, there is nothing, nothing more ordinary than McDonald's. I don't think there's anything in, in the world more ordinary than McDonald's and certainly nothing more ordinary than a filet of fish sandwich. But there's also nothing more extraordinary that in that place, students stepped out in boldness, filled with the Holy Spirit, and had a gospel conversation, shared the love of Jesus with somebody that was around them. It is amazing. It is amazing. The Holy Spirit makes ordinary people more ready than they ever realize. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in each one of our lives. He wants us to enlarge our faith to be used by him in all the spheres of influence that he sends us. That's work. That's neighborhood. That's family. We are not limited simply because of all the, you know, restrictions on us in these days. The Holy Spirit is not limited and he wants to use all of us. So is there anything right now holding you back from saying, I'm available? Is there anything right now that is kind of blocking you from saying, God, put me in the game I want to use my two minutes with all that I have. So Jesus says, listen, I want to expand your focus. He says, I want to expand your faith. But the last thing he says is, I want to expand your field. Look at verse 8 again. He says, you will be my witnesses. But notice, not just in Jerusalem among ethnic Israel. He says, and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, up until this point, the disciples were very aware of Jesus' heart for people. Remember in Matthew 9, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was able to see past any exterior veneer and look into the heart and see that people were harassed and under oppression by the devil. And like sheep without a shepherd, that's, that's the most helpless situation is to be a, a sheep without a shepherd protecting you. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When Jesus looked out at the crowds, big and small, all different ages, all different backgrounds and all of that, he described them like fields, fields that needed to be harvested. In fact, in John 4, he says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields that they are ripe for harvest. He had to tell his disciples to open, open up your eyes. 
Open up your spiritual eyes and see their real condition that they are ripe for harvest. But up until this moment, their field of grace was only for ethnic Israel. But again, Jesus is saying it's going to go beyond that. From Jerusalem, from ethnic Israel, yes. But beyond that, to Samaria, even to those Samaritans, those people that they felt like God had no love for, even those people, and not just those people, but to the ends of the earth, from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation, the gospel and the kingdom through the gospel is going to advance everywhere. No people group off limits to his grace. And what he's telling his disciples is God's field is wider, it's longer, it's higher, it's deeper than they ever imagined because that's how his grace works. It just goes and it's much wider than, than, than our limits that we have, our self-imposed limits. A couple of weeks ago, I could hear worship music coming from Michelle's phone and uh, I could tell it was live worship music and, then, and she's laughing at points and talking, but then she, gets, she got real quiet. Anytime Michelle gets real quiet, I, I there are tears flowing uh, over something that she is watching on her phone. And so I said, babe, are you okay? I'm, I'm checking on her. And, and she shows me a video. And the video is of a friend of ours named Nathan Bailey who was worshiping God at his wedding. And she's just showing me the phone and saying, this is amazing. She's praising God right there watching this, this uh, video off of Facebook, which there are videos on Facebook that we can weep and praise God for right now and stuff. Anyway, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to, that was an aside, sorry about that. There's a lot coming at us right now. Uh, Anyway, she's showing me me this and I stopped too and I just praise God for what I'm seeing on the phone. And, And the reason that we're praising God is that we know the story of Nathan. Nathan grew up in this church. I knew him, I knew him as a kid, as a little kid. Uh, and he's the son of Martin and Lorianne Bailey, founding members of this church, small group leaders. Martin and Lorianne, my, my first uh, group leader in this church. Uh, Lorianne is a biblical counselor for our church. And over the years, Nathan started to become angry. And he started to become filled with rage against God. He even got destructive and he got violent and he was bitter at the things of God. And everybody was reaching out to Nathan. And it just seemed hopeless. Nothing seemed to work. Uh, I remember getting lunch with him before he left for college. And I remember just how difficult this conversation was to speak of anything of a spiritual nature. Or even just check on his heart. He was closed. The door was closed and closed tight. And I remember walking away and just just being tempted towards hopelessness and just feeling so discouraged that that conversation went so poorly. I just felt like there was no way in. And that's how everybody felt about Nathan. There's no way in. Well, Nathan told me a story that, that he went off to college and he traveled all over the place, all over the world, really. And uh, over this time, he experimented with Gnosticism, which is like a pursuit of secret knowledge he pursued psychedelic stuff. He, he pursued Hinduism and tried to make that work for him. He tried transcendental meditation, which is like emptying your mind of stuff. He tried new age stuff. He, he says, I was just hungry for something to fill this hole in my heart, but I was trapped. And looking back, I was oppressed in all of my searchings. He says, I started to have panic attacks that would last hours. 
I was filled with dread over the future. And I just had, he said, a sense of doom hanging over me all the time. I knew there was nothing that could alter the course of my life. I felt so helpless and I would feel like dying all the time. He said on one night I was with some friends and I had a panic attack and I was feeling terrible. So in an effort to control it, I went outside for some air and started smoking a cigarette. And while I was out there, I was overwhelmed with the fact that I was going to die. He's like, I'm, I, he just felt like I'm going to end up dead or I'm going to end up in jail or I'm going to have a drug overdose. It's like, I'm not going to make it. He said, in that moment, I looked up to the stars and he said, I said this, I don't know who you are and I'm very confused. I don't know who God is, but he said, but if you're real, I need you. I feel like I'm dying and I need you to help me. So he said, just help me. Nathan told me in that moment, he felt love wash over him. He said, I suddenly stopped being afraid and I felt love. And he said, like a warm peace fill my heart like an oven. He says, at that same time, I knew he was conscious of the fact that this was Jesus Christ. And listen to this. And everything in the Bible was true. I mean, just like this. Everybody's trying to convince Nathan that the things in the Bible are true. And in one glorious moment, the Holy Spirit, in a moment of love, draws close to Nathan and tells him everything in the Bible is true. And he, he just believes it in that, in that moment. He says, I knew something had happened to me and I would never be the same again. I felt real love of Jesus touch me. And he says, I called my mom. Isn't that beautiful? I called my mom immediately and I said, mom, Jesus just touched me. That was what he said. I just experienced Jesus. And he just experienced new life on the inside of me. And then he went on to say that, you know, his life wasn't, all, wasn't perfect from there. He, he, was, he still had to break free of this lifestyle. But he said every time that he surrendered, whether it was sexual immorality or whether it was drugs, which he did, each, each time he said it was like an explosion of life that came in his heart. This new life from the Holy Spirit on the inside of him. Listen, Nathan was too far gone. Nathan was out of our reach. Nathan was at the ends of the earth, in our opinion. But God's field is larger. And his spirit can shine the light on Jesus in the darkest possible place. You might be here today and you think you are too far gone. You might be listening right now and you feel like you are too far gone. Right there. Right at your place, you cry out, I need to experience you. I need you. I need help. The Spirit of God can shine the light on Jesus who is there, who draws close to you now and is calling you to trust in him. He made you. He created you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And he didn't move away from you. Your sin moved you away from him. But he died on the cross for you. And he did that 
to put new life on the inside of you. And you can call out to him and trust him right now. You're not too far gone. Let me ask you, is there any person in your life that you have given up on? Is there anyone that you think is too far gone from God's grace? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 